Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Gas thieves on the run. Three white trucks at the pumps at the Chevron station in Long Beach. The trucks are equipped with huge plastic tanks. They break the gas pump so it just keeps dispensing. The thieves have hit at least three L.A. area gas stations. In Wilmington, they got away with more than 5,000 gallons, $30,000 worth of diesel. Bunch of savages in this town. Yeah, as gas gets more expensive, more of it is stolen. It reminds me of the great uh, copper looting craze of the late 2000s uh, when uh, during the uh, every house was getting foreclosed on and short sale or whatever, and, and it would sit empty, and, and thieves, often tweakers, would come in and just pull all the wire. Well, now it's gas and diesel that's expensive, and so look for widespread thieving coming to a block near you. I wanted to tip our cap to the domestic scene. Also, the rampant inflation shows no sign of slowing. In fact, uh, some of the energy bill stories coming in are just uh, horrendous, especially in the Northeast. um, But it's it's spreading across the country because it's uh, uh, natural gas to a large extent uh, is used to create electric power in the United States. And to the extent that it is, those prices are skyrocketing because the Russian conflict. And so, uh, you know, what's happened to your car prices and your housing prices and your food prices? Uh, look for your energy prices to kick you squarely where it hurts as well, at least in the near term. And uh, goodness knows how long it's going to uh, to continue. Uh, so getting back to the lead story of the day, Volodymyr Zelensky, president of Ukraine, delivered an urgent impassioned plea to Congress, asking for more military aid to defeat Russia, describing the threat his nation faces an attack as an attack on the democratic values championed by the United States. It was really a humdinger. If you didn't hear it, we'll play some uh, some highlights a little bit later, or you can grab the Hour One podcast later on. Uh, he showed a real knowledge of American history and invoked some of the dark moments in our history, uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, 9-11, to explain how Ukraine feels right now. And I've got to admit, I had to hearken back to some of the feelings uh, I had, we all had, in the wake of the 9-11 attacks, in which countries around the world flew the flag. Man, I'm getting chills even talking about this. Flew the American flag, said we're all Americans today and joined with us to stand against the unspeakable evil. And there's a part of me, there's a part of you, I'll bet, that wants desperately to do the same thing for the Ukrainians. As I was talking about last hour, to tell Vladimir Putin, the skies of Ukraine are about to be dark with the aircraft of NATO. And they're coming to rout your forces and rout them way we will. We will decimate your forces. This war is over as of noon tomorrow. You have one day to cease hostilities and turn around. But it's a little more complicated than that. Nuclear-armed Russia, a cornered beast like Putin, what does he do? That's, that's the push to the pull of Vladimir Zelensky's eloquent speech, desperately asking for help. He said, and perhaps one of the most powerful moments, that I think he said he was 45 years old or, or something like that. Might as well be. He said, my, 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 my age has, has stopped now. It stopped when the hundred beating hearts of Ukrainian children stopped at once in the latest bombardment. Just unbelievable. 
Some of the reactions pouring in. Ben Sass, who may be the smartest guy in the Senate. Uh, the guy is so smart, he makes me feel like a like a, a squirrel or a beaver or something like that. He's just incredibly well-read. That doesn't mean he's right about everything, by the way. But he's he is a very, very bright guy. And I think he's right about most things. But he says Zelensky needs more, more stingers, more javelins, more drones, including switchblades, more grenade launchers, more machine guns, more ammo, more surface-to-air missile defense systems, SA-8s, SA-10s, SA-11s, and yes, more planes. Get the Ukrainians the damn MiGs. Get them anti-ship missiles, too. If they can shoot it, we can ship it. These are the words of Ben Sass. Here's the problem in a nutshell. The whole world knows what Putin is for. He's for murdering Ukrainian moms and babies. The whole world knows what Zelensky is for. He's for his country and for the free world. But the only world, but I'm sorry, but the whole world is only hearing what the Biden administration is against. At every turn, this administration has said what America won't do. Here's what we should be for. Our strategic goal should be to help Ukraine win, not to help them lose as slowly as possible, as many in Washington seem resigned to accept. To help Ukraine win, our tactical goal should be to help the Ukrainians inflict as many casualties on Putin's invaders as possible with as much weaponry and intelligence as possible. When Ukraine asks, our response should be, how fast can we get it there? Not, how will the lawyers explain this? Zelensky needs more and America to do more. On the topic of the MiGs, which has been an interesting discussion, we have reached out, as uh, we usually do, to a variety of, of folks, um, including uh, military analyst Mike Lyons, whose opinion we value very highly. And, and Mike was uh, very skeptical of the idea for a number of reasons, which I think are addressed pretty thoroughly in what I found to be a terrific Twitter string. This from uh, Robert Farley, who's a professor of political science um, and, and military operations. Uh, in the United States. I believe he's a Brit, but it doesn't matter. Um, let me read this to you, th- see what you think. going to try to thread the needle on this Polish MiG thing. The first thing is to appreciate that when this idea was f- first floated last week, uh, and let's see, when did he post this? Yeah, it was actually a week and a half ago now. Um, it was absolutely insane, and everyone with any kind of knowledge of the field knew it was insane. Didn't stop us from writing about it, because, of course, the whole let's invade Ukraine at the start of mud season is also insane. And here we are. He's talking about the Russians making that technical mistake. But every responsible analysis indicated, A, there would be a problem with pilot training. B, there would be a problem with maintainers. If I can jump in just for a second, uh, any of you who've served certainly in the Air Force or or the uh, any of the Air Forces of the United States, understands that for every pilot and plane, there are many people who keep that plane flyable. And that's what he's talking about with the maintainers. Uh, getting back to the uh, why it's an insane idea, furnishing those MiGs, or it was originally. See, there would be problems backfilling aircraft to whichever country transferred the MiGs. That specifically that Poland was going to give their MiGs to Ukraine, and in return they would love some American jets, F-16s or 18s, I'm not sure, I'm not an expert on that sort of thing. Part of the problem with that is that those planes had been promised to Taiwan. And obviously, that's a little uncomfortable if we short them their planes right now, right? Getting back to his list of why it was a bad idea at the time. Uh, There would be problems pilot training in the backfilled aircraft. There would be neutrality problems. And few MiGs, uh, a few MiGs are going to have much less military impact than SAMs, surface-to-air missiles. So he said, you know, get them the SAMs, for goodness sakes. 
And he goes on, and probably half a dozen other reasons I can't think of for why this could not happen in the time frame that we were working with. And so it's not surprising that the deal has not come off. But at some point, we have to reevaluate our time frames. Because a thing that is not possible in three days or three weeks might well be possible in three months. And at this point, we need to seriously entertain the prospect that Ukraine will continue to hold the territory necessary for fixed-wing operations in three months. In three months, you can train pilots, modify existing aircraft, backfill from a variety of sources, set up maintenance and supply infrastructure, work out procedures to transfer without violating neutrality, etc. Let me jump in there and say the whole neutrality thing is, uh, boy, is that a blurry line. I mean, we're arming the S out of the Ukrainians. So uh, the idea that we're quote-unquote neutral is obviously ludicrous. Um, uh, the question becomes neutral enough not to start a, a world war, I suppose, but we've talked enough about that. So back to the the, uh, the analysis. And in three months, the uh, Russian Air Force may itself be suffering from some serious attrition from Ukrainian air defenses, along with shoddy maintenance, accidents, etc. And so while pouring a bunch of poorly prepped pilots and sketchy aircraft into the fight now is insane, the introduction of new Ukrainian Air Force in, say, June might have a hell of an impact. And so, administration policy should not be to give up on the transfer, but to proceed at a deliberate pace designed to maximize effectiveness of the aircraft and maximize potential impact. I thought that was a really, really sound analysis. Um, Zelensky and his commanders, who I believe have earned our respect and trust uh, to whatever extent a superpower like the United States can trust anybody because we have to pursue our own self-interest obviously in that of nato uh but to the extent that they could conceivably have earned our respect and trust they have they absolutely have and if vladimir Zelensky and his command are saying get us the migs we can use the migs because they plan on holding their country they don't plan on giving up they don't plan on being defeated in fact the the, the very idea is unthinkable and they're they're fighting like like wolverines against the russians everywhere around the country to make sure that defeat doesn't happen so i'm reminded of the old adage that the the best time to plant an oak tree is 50 years ago the second best time is today though it might take time for weapons or weapon systems like the mig fighter jets fighter bombers um might take time for those to be useful online. Let's go ahead and plant that oak tree. And if indeed events play out tragically in a way that ends the conflict in the worst way uh, before those MIGs can be utilized, well, okay, that's fine. We tried. But to assume that there is no long term, I think, would be a betrayal of the Ukrainian people, and I think we would regret it very much. You know, why don't we end the segment um, once again with an expression of the spirit of the Ukrainian people, which is both amazing and awesome and uh, and a little bit funny in a way. Uh, this is uh, clip number 30, please, Michael. Just down the road, I meet Nina Chitalyuk, who seems like a sweet 71-year-old grandmother. By the way, Nina says that if she saw Vladimir Putin, she would strangle him with her own hands right now. I'm ready, she says. If by God the Russians come here, I'll shoot them all and my hands won't even shake. I'll throw grenades at them. 
It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. We'll be back. Armstrong and Getty. I will say what I know we all say, and I will say over and over again. The United States stands firmly with the Ukrainian people in defense of the NATO alliance. Wait, what? Stand with the Ukrainian people in defense of the NATO alliance that they're not in, and we won't let them in. Was there supposed to be an and in there somewhere, or an ampersand or a semicolon or something what the hell are you talking they surely that was a prepared speech right they can't let her ad lib just on any topic any topic whatsoever so that is the the vice president of the united states which is still difficult to believe especially if you followed her early career which has been just awful Meanwhile, speaking of uh, the vice president and that sort of thing, I give you the president of the United States uh, speaking, I think this was yesterday, uh, at the White House, clip 22. But there's been a little change in the arrangement of who's on the stage because of the first lady's husband uh, contracting COVID. But uh, look at this room and what you see. Pardon? That's right. She's fine. Together. The second lead, the first gentleman. How about that? Oh, boy. So that doddering old man is the president of the United States. Pull that bad That's right. The very fellow to whom Vladimir Zelensky was issuing his grave and desperate plea for more arms and more help. That the president explaining that the first lady's husband has COVID. Somebody pointed out to him, you're the first lady's husband. He said, oh. Yeah, I, uh, well, uh, the, the first man, the second, the first, just say the vice president's husband, all right? Excuse me, <coughs> coronavirus. Um, the, the, the uh, husband of, of the idiot vice president has COVID. Anyway, we wish him a, a speedy recovery. Speaking of floundering old people, uh, decided to take a break this segment from the uh, Ukraine stuff. Coming up, some interesting uh, analysis of uh, the spot Putin finds himself in. Some interesting emails from you all about Vlad Putin and the conflict in Ukraine and more reaction from American and world leaders to Vladimir Zelensky's speech before Congress. But this is, believe it or not, the woman two heartbeats away from the president the third in succession uh this is nancy pelosi the speaker of the house of representatives 20. putin is trying to bait the trap so that uh, we go in and that's the beginning could be the beginning of world war three uh, putin totally irresponsible using weapons that are not allowed under the geneva connect convention putin who uh, threatens chem- use of chemical weapons um nuclear and the rest so they know that we can't but it's the ask now he was uh, this morning more let's if we can't have an if we can't have a no-fly zone let us 
have our own, and we need the airplanes to come in. This morning, he was less on the on the ask for the um, uh, that policy, more on let us do it, help us get the planes. But also, there is a school of thought that thinks the anti-aircraft missiles and the rest are a very important way. Myself, when I see that that those tanks, that 40 miles of tanks. I'd like to take out those tanks. I mean, I, I think that air, uh, them having more planes might be useful, but that I'm not a, a military strategist. So I agreed with her on that last part, but that is a very, very old lady. Um, and with due respect to our elders, I won't make fun, but that is a very old lady trying to express uh, her sentiments and doing so very poorly. She won't be the Speaker of the House much more, much longer, but it is ironic that her title is the Speaker of the House when she can barely speak. But uh, (laughs) if we get through this period with this leadership without some sort of worse cataclysm than we're dealing with right now with the inflation and the economic problems and the conflagration in Ukraine and the the, the perhaps spread of the said conflagration. If we get through that with these folks in place, we will have dodged a bullet. Vlad Putin, what's his position right now? What are the threats to his rule? Reaction of Vladimir Zelensky's speech. Some highlights if you hadn't heard it coming up next. If not, grab the podcast later. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Turning our attention back to the situation in Ukraine, Russia, etc., Volodymyr Zelensky addressed the United States Congress and uh, made a series of requests, pleas for assistance, and we'll play you uh, one of the highlight chunks of that coming up. And then I want to talk a little bit about Vladimir Putin, the position he's in. The way he's perceived in certain corners of the world, including the United States. And what are the prospects for him to actually get tossed out, which probably means bumped off? Former dictators rarely have a comfortable retirement in Bali or what have you. They usually end up uh, upside down or at the end of a rope or full of holes against a wall somewhere or something like that. But uh, first, uh, this is the conclusion of Vladimir Zelensky's uh, speech in which after uh, bringing up no-fly zone and more weapons, and that uh, if we wouldn't do a no-fly zone, at least give us the planes uh, to do it ourselves. He appeals directly to the United States and uh, Joe Biden. Today, today it's not enough to be the leader of the nation. Today it takes to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Peace in your country doesn't depend anymore only on you and your people. It depends on those next to you, on those who are strong. Strong doesn't mean weak. Strong is brave and ready to fight for the life of his citizens and citizens of the world, for human rights, for freedom, for the right to live decently and to die when your time comes and not when it's 
wanted by someone else, by your neighbor. Today, the Ukrainian people are defending not only Ukraine, we are fighting for the values of Europe and the world, sacrificing our lives in the name of the future. That's why today the American people are helping not just Ukraine, but Europe and the world to keep the planet alive, to keep justice in history. Now I'm almost 45 years old. Today my age stopped when the hearts of more than 100 children stopped beating. I see no sense in life if it cannot stop the death. And this is my main mission as the leader of my people, great Ukrainians. And as the leader of my nation, I'm addressing the President Biden. You are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Thank you. Slava Ukraine. Glory to Ukraine. And then a sustained standing ovation, as you might suggest. You can keep it up, Michael. That's fine. As you might expect, rather, uh, from Congress there. Although what Zelensky needs is not applause. He needs weapons. So powerful stuff indeed, I think it is. And this is not just uh, you know a partisan thing. I, I'm not a big Joe Biden fan. I haven't been for a very, very long time. I think it's a, uh, it's a terrible uh, quirk of history that the president of the United States, the leader of the free world at this critical moment, is uh, a, uh, a fellow, the likes of uh, Joe Biden, a very tired, phony, honestly, a, a glad hander and a backslapper, a very talented politician, but... The guy is full of crap and has been wrong about most things through most of his career, according to you know a number of folks, including Robert Gates, former SecDef. I think it's unfortunate for the Ukrainians, but it's still not impossible that he and his advisors will do the right thing. Um, precisely what that is is a very, very tough call. I will grant him that. A couple of emails I wanted to touch on very quickly, then uh, get to a, a really interesting set of analyses about how likely it is Putin gets thrown out of office. So stay tuned for that. But got this note uh, from Jay, first initial Jay. Can anybody, can everybody please start calling Vladimir Putin what he is, the Hitler of the 21st century? What Putin's doing in Ukraine, Ukraine is genocide by definition, namely, quote, the deliberate and systematic extermination of a national, racial, political or cultural group. All that has occurred over the past nearly three weeks. Would anyone argue that Putin's military is seeking to murder whomever they can in Ukraine, including military personnel, lawmakers, and civilians? It is deliberate, it is systemic, it is extermination. I believe he's uh, quite correct on that point. How many more video clips on daily international news broadcasts do we need to see Ukraine being destroyed and now three million people fleeing before we will all call Putin what he is? By the way, they think it's been something like a million children alone have fled ukraine now 
why does the U.S. government not have a bounty on Putin as well as uh, as was done with Osama bin Laden and others? Oh, right, because that might offend Putin. We're also not in the business of assassinating heads of state. And that's kind of not a thing in the modern world, Jay, but uh, I see your point anyway. I'm well aware of NATO's history and that Ukraine is not a member state. Then he goes into some detail about various alliances we have. Uh, one thing that uh, he doesn't discuss is the agreement made years ago that Russia and China and the United States would protect Ukrainian sovereignty if they gave up their nuclear arms for the good of the world. And the fact that one of those countries is blatantly, horrifically, cataclysmically ignoring that obligation and doing the opposite, and that the second signatory, China, is saying, eh, nothing to see over here. And the United States is with NATO arming the hell out of the Ukrainians, but there's a lot more could be done, but we've been cornered into, shall we say, uh, half measures. I will call them three-quarters measures. Let's be fair. We're doing a lot. But we've been restrained from doing what truly needs to be done by the threat of uh, nuclear Russia. And that is, that's frustrating. Uh, getting back to Jay's email, nothing was learned from World War II. Had Hitler been stopped years earlier, much of the horrible, many of the horrible atrocities committed by the Nazis would not have occurred. Maybe Biden and other international leaders should just say openly that to them, Ukraine is expendable, and Biden et al. are willing to watch its annihilation and do nothing while it is being annihilated. Putin can next do the same in other former Soviet republics that are not part of NATO, uh, etc. Um, then he goes into more detail about the Hitler comparison, but... Here's the way history has unfolded many times, including, you know, the Nazi regime in the 30s in Europe, is that world leaders did say essentially what Jay suggested. Uh, You know, the first couple of places that Hitler invaded were arguably there are a lot of Germans there and it's awful and wrong and we're against it, but we're not going to do what it takes to stop it. But if he keeps taking territories, we're going to have to. And sure enough, Winston Churchill, among others, was was shouting as loudly as he could, he's not going to be satisfied with A. And then when Hitler took B, Churchill made it clear he's not going to be satisfied with that either. Get ready. Arm yourselves. Get ready. It's clear what's happening here. And he was right. He was 100% right. Well, the world's making the same gamble now to a large extent enforced or heightened by Russia's nuclear armed status that, no, 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 it's probably just going to stop at Ukraine. Now, if he starts, like, going into Poland or NATO countries or or the uh, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, the Baltic states, well, then we're going to have to do something. But uh, we don't have to yet. It's the same gamble in, you know, in, in a lot of the same ways. Now, if I was a good talk host talk radio host, I would smugly announce that we're, we're seeing exactly the same pattern and we've got to rise up and take out Russia right now, but you don't know for sure. That was the problem at the time. <laughs> there were plenty of really smart people of good conscience who thought, no, it appears that all Hitler wants is, you know, this Dayton land or, or various regions of Poland, that sort of thing. Um, they just happen to be wrong. They're they deadly wrong. Um, so these things are not easy. As I said earlier, I definitely share, uh, and this may be the first and last time you ever hear me say this, I share Nancy Pelosi's sentiment that 
I want very much to unleash the full might of NATO and decimate the Russian forces, wherever they are. Decimate them. Those that survive, send them fleeing back to Russia. Further isolate Putin, punish him, crush him. Like that very, very much. But, you know, bellicose, let's go-ism is uh, it's a dangerous thing, and it's an unattractive thing. I'm not going to serve. I'm too old. Fat. My kids are probably past age, although my son could probably enlist at this point. I doubt he would, though. Um, and so I don't want to be that guy. Don't want to be that guy. We might have to. It may become utterly clear within a month or a year that, oh, we don't have any choice. Uh, but we don't know. A quick thought from Mike. Uh, really interesting email. There's a real problem here. He writes, I've been shocked by the number of people I interact with in person and online that are defending Putin. People that are smart, successful people, particularly in church, believe that Putin has been vilified for decades by the media for some mysterious reason. They believe Putin is a godly guy that has worked hard to defend biblical roles for gender and sexuality. They say that Ukraine has been in a civil war for a long time and Putin's trying to end that for the good of Ukraine. And apparently the idiot buying into the propaganda, and I'm probably not even a Christian since I'm blinded to the truth of what's going on. Oh, and he, Mike, is apparently an idiot buying into the propaganda. Sentence is a little funky there, but anyway. I laughed off the goofiness of the conspiracy stuff they believed during the Trump years, but the amount of garbage people believe and the lengths that people will go to in order to believe anyone in the media is out to get them has brought me concern. At first, I assume the people that say this stuff uh, we're Russian bots, but I've had opportunities to meet a few of these bots in person, as well as hear it from people I've known for years. I have no clue where they get their info. I have a bad feeling about where this goes in the future. Let's see. Do we have time to dive into this? Mm, I'll do my best. A couple of things going on now. And you have to understand religion exists on a number of different levels. Religions. They exist on the level of personal faith. This is what I perceive to be the relationship between me and God, for instance. Then you have your local church, the people who go to your church, you have your clergymen, whatever, and however you feel about them. And then you have the institution of the church. The Catholic church, the Vatican, with its billions of dollars in gold and its scandals and the rest of it, for instance. Understand this. The Russian Orthodox Church is an immensely powerful institution in Russia. And as Vladimir Putin was clawing his way to the top, his rise to power, which we could talk about for hours, it's so interesting. But as he was moving his way to the top and solidifying his power after he got elected president, one of the main things he did was go to the Russian Orthodox Church and say, y'all were were oppressed under the communist system for decades. You had your power, your wealth, your ability to freely practice your religion uh, squashed by the communists for a very long time. You come on my side, you come on Team Putin, I will not only stop harassing you and persecuting you, I will empower you. I will make you the powerful force in Russian society you ought to be. And for a number of reasons, including Putin going hardcore against Islamists, in Chechnya and other former Soviet republics, to the pouring of genocide, by the way, and and just crazy overreach and horrific crimes against humanity. 
that won him support. And then he has, uh, through the years and continues today, to espouse the views, the societal views, uh, the uh, social views, the sexual views um, of the Russian Orthodox Church. He has been, they tell him, here's our doctrine on gays, for instance. Gay marriage, transgender this, that, the other. Here's our doctrine on that. And Putin says, okay, thank you very much. And then he says, this is Russia's doctrine on this stuff. And he delivers the the word of the Russian Orthodox Church. And so he has gotten a great deal of loyalty and support from them for that. And they, in turn, have vigorously pitched Putin as a man of God, a man who defends Christianity. Um, and a lot of people in the States have fallen for that. It's, uh, it's a purely practical relationship, uh, by a, by an autocrat, a totalitarian dictator. Uh, more on that and a lot of good stuff to talk about to come. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. One of the more brutal tactics Russia has employed in Ukraine is abducting at least two mayors to install pro-Russian replacements. But that doesn't scare Kiev mayor and former boxer Vitaly Klitschko. What are you going to do if the Russians try to kidnap you? I am ready to fight. It will be not easy to do that. Damn straight. That guy... That guy, you know who he was? You know who he was? Heavyweight. That guy was the heavyweight champion of the world. You're not going to bring him in. Plus, mayors have all those giant scissors for cutting ribbons. <laughs> there isn't a prison door that can hold him. We're going. Follow me. All right. So uh, I was dreading what joke was coming at the end of it. It was so lame, though. I can, I can, you know, let it go. The fact that you know we got an email from uh, somebody it's uh, normally i uh, just ignore it but it's kind of stuck in my mind about hey uh, Zelensky's no hero he's a fool he's led to the slaughter of his hero uh, is his people he should have just uh, uh, surrendered surrendered because it's clear Russia's gonna win so you know what kind of hero is this guy and I uh, I'm aware people there are people who think like that um I I'm glad that there are a hell of a lot more of you who don't think like that. And should the Chinese horde ever show up at our shores or that sort of moment ever comes for the United States, which I understand is incredibly unlikely for geographic reasons, if for nothing else. Um, I'm certainly grateful that there are a hell of a lot more of you that would fight until your last breath. You would fire your guns until you're out of ammunition. Then you would throw rocks. Then you would fight with your fists. Um. Yeah, interesting. Uh, the fact that the mayors of the cities have remained guns in hand, fatigues on, I think is incredibly admirable. So what about getting rid of Putin? What are the chances of him being overthrown? Don't have enough time for this, but I wanted to touch on it quickly. I've been reading some analysis by various experts, including this uh, fellow by the name of uh, Nanahal Singh. He's one of the world's leading scholars of military coups. 
His 2016, uh, I'm sorry, 2017 book, Seizing Power, uses statistical analysis, game theory, and historical case studies to try to figure out what causes coups and what makes them likely to succeed. Some of his key findings are that militaries are most likely to attempt coups because you can have a popular uprising or or a military coup. That's the way you get rid of autocrats. Um, and they consider popular uprisings fairly un- unlikely in Russia because Putin has done such a great job of uh, clamping down on the population. Could be wrong, but, uh, you know, that's probably less likely than a military coup. Anyway, so he finds this scientist that militaries are most likely to, to attempt coups in low-income countries. Eh, nope. Russia's a mid-income country. Fairly solid. Regimes that are nearly, that are neither... <clears throat> fully democratic nor fully autocratic that's another swing and a miss because the russian regime regime is fully autocratic and he pretends that uh, democracy is silly and nations where coups have recently happened and none of those apply very well to modern russia haven't seen a coup since the early 90s because the the fall of communism was essentially a coup a military coup but at the same time wars like putin's can breed resentment and fear in the ranks Precisely the conditions under which we've seen coups in other countries, says the uh, political scientist. There are reasons why Putin might be increasingly concerned here. And he points to a number of uh, military coups in some fairly prosperous countries in the last couple of decades. In Singh's view, the Ukraine conflict raises the odds of a coup in Russia for a couple of reasons. It could weaken the military leadership's allegiance to Putin, and it could provide an unusual opportunity to plan a move against him. More on that. Jack is off of his sick bed. He's going to rejoin us. Uh, stay tuned for next hour. If you don't get next hour, you got to go. Grab it by a podcast Armstrong later. Armstrong and Getty.